All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back into the One Health Podcast. Uh, we just want to start today's episode with a huge thank you again for all of your love and support. Uh, make sure you guys do us a favor. Leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, that really helps us in the rankings there. Keep sharing this with your friends and your family. Remember, all of our videos and episodes are also on our website at onehealthpodcast.com. Um, for those of you who are new to the show, just to bring you up to speed, each week we are going to bring on different experts in areas of health. So that could be mental health, physical health, professional health, spiritual health, um, today relationship health. There you so go. that's good. Um, we don't claim to be experts in any of these subjects. We just know people who are. So we bring them on and we interview them, which is good for everybody. Um, shout out to our sponsors, EcoGym and Motivating You. Make sure you go to shop.teammotive, the number eight, the letter N, and the letter U.com and sign up for your free macro plan today. All listeners are going to receive that offer. So make sure you guys go and do that. Um, and go to ecogymworldwide.com. These guys are doing a special offer for all podcast listeners of six weeks for $6 on the membership. Make sure you guys go sign up for that. And uh, just mention that you are a One Health subscriber when you come in. Um, they're offering 24 seven access to the clubs, hyperbaric therapy, red light therapy, organic meals that ship to your doorstep, supplements, smoothies, fitness classes, all that good stuff. Um, Jill, thanks for joining me today. My pleasure. Today I have, um, Jill Fine Baker. Did I say that right? You did. Okay. Jill is a licensed clinical social worker and a member of the Academy of Clinical Social Workers with a master's in social work from Jane Addams College of Social Work at the University of Illinois at Chicago. Yes. She helped found the Institute for Imago. You got it. Imago, Relationship Therapy of Greater Chicago, a, a professional training and support organization. Mm -hmm. And you completed training with Dr. John Gottman, mm -hmm. author of The Seven Principles of Successful Marriages, and you trained under Dr. Steven Stosny. Stosny, yeah. Got it right. And uh, became certified to help teach HEALS, um, which is a groundbreaking anger management tool. Yep. And you have quantumlove.com. That's right. Is your website. Right. So if you guys want to read more about that, check that out. Make sure you guys go to quantumlove.com. And I'm sure we'll get into more of that as the episode goes on here. So, Jill. Yes. You do therapy. I do. Um, Bring us back your story. How did you get into that side of things? Was this like fresh out of college or in college you're doing this? Like how did that kind of come to be? Yeah, so um, I <laughs> I joke that I've been a, a therapist since I was two. You know, I have uh, <laughs> vague memories of uh, trying to get my mom to chill or my folks to stop fighting. Um, but the real work didn't become clear until, you know, I did undergrad, I took a little of this, a little of that, and I uh, got a bachelor's in sociology, but can't really do much with that. So uh, I decided I would get a master's in social work and um, went to, as you said, the Jane Addams College of Social Work, U of I in Chicago. Um, and I remember early there, um, we were all kind of sitting around and one of the instructors asked us, what do we want to do with this master's in social work? And a lot of people said they wanted to hang out their shingle and be in private practice. And I, you know, I remember thinking, that's not social work. Go be a psychologist if you want to do that. You know, Social work is in the trenches. It's in the schools. It's helping families. It's helping kids. So for uh, several years, I did that. I worked for an agency, a wonderful agency called Kaleidoscope that worked with all hardcore DCFS kids from, you know, wards of the state. So these are kids who had been bounced through a million different foster homes and institutions. And I learned a lot, a lot, a lot there. And at that time, um, I was married. I had uh, two little kids at that time. And uh, the marriage was not going that well. Even though before we got married, we went into therapy because I came from a divorce background my husband, as I like to call him, uh, came from a, a divorce. Husband. Yeah. Well, it's so much nicer than X. X, <laughs> X sounds so Yeah, X, it really you know? does. It really right. does. Yeah. So um, he came from divorced parents, and 
I knew that I didn't want to do what they did, but I didn't know what else to do. So we were puttering along, doing the best we could. And one day in this kind of miracle moment, um, I happened to have Oprah on. At that time, Oprah ran the same time as Sesame Street. And usually the kids got to watch what they wanted. But as I said, kind of a miracle moment. And here was this guy named Harville Hendricks, Hendricks with an X, uh, no relation to Jimmy that I know of. Uh, and uh, he was hawking his new book then, uh, Getting the Love You Want, A Guide for Couples. So this was back in uh, February of 1989. So many years ago. A while back. Yeah. A while back. I I'd like to say I was 12 then, but that doesn't really work. Um, <laughs> I think, what was that? The, I was like four. Oh, oh. Well, at least you were born. You know, anyway. <laughs> um, so what I saw was this guy doing really powerful work with couples. Like um, he had couples facing each other and talking to each other. In the therapy that we were going to, I talked to the therapist, he talked to the therapist. I talked to the therapist, he talked to the therapist. We both liked the therapist just fine, but we had to go home with each other, you know? And uh, so at the end of the show, they flashed a number to call because this was, you know, before Al Gore invented the internet. And uh, so I called and they said Harville was coming into Chicago to put on a couples workshop. And so I, I used the only communication skill I had at that time, which was to issue an ultimatum. And I said something to the effect of, I don't care if we have to sell furniture to pay for it, we are going to his next workshop. You know, I was very subtle in those days. <laughs> and uh, dragged my reluctant husband to the workshop so that Harville could fix him. And of course found out how much work I had to do. Which was actually a relief, because I didn't even like the person that I had become in that marriage, but I didn't know how to not be that. And uh, so at the end of the uh, workshop I asked him if he was training any therapists and he just began training therapists in this method which has been the most profound influence on my life and personally and professionally in ways that I never expected and so of course today I've and for the past uh, 20 some years have hung out my shingle despite my protestations and you know have been um, doing workshops and uh, seeing couples in my office ever since. Awesome. So you're you're here in the Chicago area. Mm -hmm. um, is this, do you run your, your office by yourself or are there yeah. other therapists that are there too? Or? Yeah, so I, I share space with other therapists, but basically we're all our individual practices. My office is in Skokie, um, okay. right near Old Orchard. Uh, it's a nice office gotcha. place. And then I do the workshops usually at the Hampton Inn and Suites right across the parking lot from okay. there. Okay. Yeah. So my initial question after reading your bio, so yeah. what I like to do with every guest is I just kind of read the headlines, right? Because I want there to be a genuine conversation, genuine discovery. Um, and when I, when Helen, your sister, mm -hmm. we had on the show, Full mentioned, yes. hey, <laughs> my sister does this, and I'm like, oh my God, that's so perfect. You know, me personally, I have so many questions. I'm sure the listeners have so many questions. So, cool. um, you know, therapy, I think is a, you know, it can be kind of a taboo things at times for a lot of couples like, oh, hey, I don't want to go there because I don't think we need that and we mm -hmm. can work on this on our own mm -hmm. when the truth is that's not the case in a lot of situations. Um, I guess I want to start with what is Amago therapy? What okay. is, what is, is that like a certain style or yeah. what, what does that mean? So I'll, I'll give you the spiel. Okay. <laughs> um, but first I want to say something about what you said first about how um, there therapy continues to be a little bit of a taboo and a lot especially I think with relationships people feel like hey you know we shouldn't have to get help we should know how to do this right because after all we watched the Cosby show or we watched you know <laughs> whatever else we saw around us yeah. you know and everything gets resolved in 30 minutes after all doesn't it um, so and my number one frustration as a couple therapist is couples who wait too long to get into therapy when a lot of negative water has gone under that bridge already. So, and do you know the average length of time between when a couple first experiences distress and when they seek help? Guess what the average length of time is? Three years? Six years. Oh my God. Six years of misery and bad habits and resentment, and that's a lot to dig out from. Oh yeah. Right, so if nothing else, if your listeners are starting to feel like, you know what, I think we're a little stuck. 
don't be shy. Go see somebody. I think, um, so coming from personal experience, mm-hmm. I know I mentioned this to you before we started the show. I, uh, I had gone through a divorce and stuff like that. And, you know, I completely agree with you on that. I think, you know, it gets to a point where things just keep getting swept under the rug, swept under the rug, swept under the rug, and not talked about. And you're just kind of getting, ah, oh, well, this is how it is, or this is how being married is. But that doesn't have to be that way at all. And, you know, from my personal experience, um, you know, there should have been more action a lot sooner, um, even from a personal standpoint. Absolutely. Because I got married at a very young age. I was 24, wow. which I know there's people that get married younger than that. But, um, I mean, I don't think I knew what I was doing, really. How could I you? I mean, I was so immature, and I came from a divorced family, too. You know, I'm never going to be that way. That's never going to happen. Well, right. <laughs> so, but, I mean, I had still so much growing up to do mm-hmm. as a human being, and I don't think that really started to happen until I turned, I don't know, 29, 30, you know what I mean? Right. So yeah, again, to your point, um, don't wait. Don't wait, don't (laughs) wait, don't wait. Yeah. Um, So yeah, back to Imago. Sorry. So yeah, that's okay. So um, Imago is just a Latin word for image. And it refers to this, excuse me, kind of composite image that we take from childhood into adulthood of the people that raised us and the experiences we had. So all the things they did that we liked that helped us, all the things they did that we didn't like that hurt us, all the should and shouldn't messages of how to be in the world, we take that into adulthood, tuck a lot of it into our subconscious, and then as adults find ourselves attracted to and attractive to and triggered by and triggering to someone who matches a lot of those qualities with the idea being we want to finish what's unfinished and heal what's been hurt with someone kind of like the ones that did it in the first place. Like if you think about it, nature, and we're part of nature, is always in the process of trying to grow and heal, right? If you plant a seed, it tries to become a plant. If you have a puppy, it tries to become a whatever, a schnoodle, whatever, you know? And humans are like that too. So we grow up physically without having to think about it. But emotionally and psychologically, if we didn't get certain needs met, certain normal developmental needs met, like a need to feel connected, a need to feel independent, a need to form your own identity, a need to feel competent, all these are just basic human needs. If those weren't allowed or helped or fostered or nourished, we're going to crave that. And Um, Harville Hendricks, who developed all this, started noticing some patterns in the early 80s when he was teaching marriage and family therapy in a university in Texas. I forgot what school he was at. And he uh, was really not doing well in his own marriage and ultimately got divorced, which is a humbling thing to be teaching marriage and family therapy and go through a divorce. Yeah. But he noticed patterns in all these couples that he was seeing. He noticed that the things that frustrated them or, or uh, kept showing up in their relationships were very familiar to what happened in childhood. And I know that a lot of times people say, oh, you, uh, a woman might marry her father or a man might marry mm-hmm. his mother, kind of. Mm-hmm. Of course, not, not directly. <laughs> Let's hope not. But it's actually a combination of both. So inevitably, I'm going to be most attracted to the positive and negative traits. That's that imago. That's that blueprint for what I consider love. And my conscious mind is going to be attracted to the positive, like, you know, attractive or, you know, um, uh, smart or funny. The unconscious is scanning for the negative traits, like cold, unavailable, depressed, Mommy and Daddy all rolled into one, you know, because we want to get what we didn't get from the ones who didn't give it to us. And that's what we call healing, to have a similar, like stir up the stuff in a similar laboratory, and that's what our relationships are in a way, Mm -hmm. um, but have a different outcome. So rather than um, just have ongoing conflict or frustration or disconnection, you could transform the relationship to one that has mostly healing and growth and intimacy and connection. Because inevitably what one person needs the most for their healing is the hardest for the other to give. 
And as that one stretches to give that, you would experience healing and I would experience growth. And then the relationship, the conflicts and difficulties in relationship are not a sign that you're with the wrong person. It's just a sign that that something's trying to happen. We say conflict is growth trying to happen. You know, that something important is trying to get your attention there. But in our culture, we mostly say, oh, it must mean I'm with the wrong partner. So you could say that healthy conflict is okay? Yeah, I mean, obviously, um, physical, Cause, cause emotional people say, abuse. I've heard some people say, you need you need to argue. It's kind of healthy. You can't just go through it being like always on a 10, you know, of happiness. Mm-hmm. Like, it's good to have that little bicker back and forth sometimes. But it, is that the case? It, kind of, in a roundabout way? Yeah, so it depends what that um, bickering is like. Okay. You know, some people, um, okay, so let me kind of divide. So, sorry. No, I love it. That's the a great question. The questions are just going to comment. Yeah, no, that's good. I love it, love it, love it, love it. So um, I'm going to backtrack a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. So when we are, uh, so humans are kind of simple. We want to increase pleasure and avoid pain. That's kind of at the bottom of everything. Increase pleasure, avoid pain. And if some situation is painful, and painful could mean uncomfortable, painful could mean scary, painful could mean uh, unknown, whatever it is. Uh, it doesn't mean necessarily a gun to your head. It could be, you know, a raised eyebrow. It could be a tone of voice. It could be, anything. you know, we're always scanning for is it safe or is it dangerous. Um, we protect ourselves in one of two ways. Either we kind of pull our energy in and constrict and shut down and avoid and get very, very quiet. <laughs> or we expand and get louder and more insistent and pursue. Mm-hmm. And so we call those very shut down ones minimizers and the very uh, uh, you know out there ones maximizers and those two styles are so common that we've given them the kind of cute names of the turtles and the hailstorms hmm. so the more the hailstorm hails the more the turtle withdraws and the more the turtle withdraws the more the hailstorm hails mm-hmm. and each tends to bring out the worst in each other and often don't realize that they're helping to create their own nightmare, you know. We've all been in, I think everybody's been in a relationship like that. But when you're in it, mm-hmm. you can't see it. It's very you hard can't to see, see the forest through the trees. Right. You can't. Like, I could be acutely aware <laughs> of what's wrong with my partner, you know. Mm-hmm. But I might not be so aware of what I'm doing to contribute to that. Mm-hmm. Um Right. So if I, you know, like, let's say I didn't know that I had coffee breath or something, but I see you backing away from me, then I might infer that either you're afraid of intimacy or that, you know, maybe I've got coffee breath. Right. Mm -hmm. That there's something in me pushing you away. Mm -hmm. Um, But often we don't notice what we're doing. But Imago offers uh, different communication tools so that you neither have to hail nor turtle in order to communicate and connect because that's what's actually making it worse. So when you ask about bickering, you know, I would say if two people are, um, so there's a lot of different styles there. Sometimes people are so afraid of disagreeing or rocking the boat or, you know, these are really conflict avoidant people. They just wanna keep it on an even keel and you could, you know, you could get along like that. You could stay married for 50 years like that, that's what we call a parallel marriage. So there's not much conflict, there's probably not much intimacy either. You know, I have a friend who's in a very parallel marriage. Um, you know, she raised the kids, he worked, you know, he played golf, you know, they have sex twice a year whether they need it or not, you know. Um, it's it's what they're comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Um, it wouldn't work for me. Then there's these highly conflictual couples, like really conflictual, you know, that might say, you know, it's such a nice day, let's bicker outside. You know, I mean, <laughs> right? I know so, people like that. Right? I like know. conflict is their contact. Mm-hmm. Um, and the rest of us fall somewhere in between that, yeah. where one kind of pursues and the other avoids. And sometimes that switches, you know, sometimes our, our styles are very entrenched. And sometimes we switch depending on the topic. And neither style is inherently healthier or more dysfunctional than the other. They're just ways of our protecting ourselves that happen to be 
making it worse. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, so you've touched on intimacy mm -hmm. twice now. Mm. Um, from a therapist perspective, um, how important is it to have that physical intimacy in a relationship? I know people that have none, like you said, have sex twice a year and that's, you know, that's it. And then other people that are on the other spectrum and they're wild and they're crazy. Um, mm -hmm. You know, my guess, my personal belief is, you know, I've, I've learned through my thing that it's kind of, I think it's equally important really as the emotional side of things. Do you find that? Yeah. So, um, you know, it's interesting. A lot of, I would say, I don't know how many percent, at least 75% of the couples that I see, that's an issue. Mm -hmm. You know, and often there's a desire discrepancy, right? One partner wants more sex, the other isn't that interested. Stereotypically, you might think it's in a heterosexual relationship, it's the man that wants and the woman that's not so interested. That doesn't always hold true, by the way. Mm -hmm. I've seen more and more the other side, yeah. the other way. And by the way, everything that I'm saying about relationships holds true for same-sex couples as well. I see a lot of same-sex couples. They do the minimizer, maximizer thing too. One of them is a maximizer, the other's a minimizer. Um, you know, they have to deal with a couple other layers of issues, of course, their, their own in our society's homophobia and other things. But mm -hmm. in general, more applies than doesn't apply. So I just want to yeah. say that. That's a good caveat, yeah. Yeah. So. Um, so sex. Um, <laughs> and I mean, yeah. I'm not even talking just sex. I'm talking about physical contact. Yeah. I mean, yes. at all. Yes. You know? Yeah. So I'm thinking of this couple that I saw this week who they've been married for, I don't know, 12 years or something. They've got a nine-year-old kid, a lovely couple. You know, I, I kind of fall in love with a lot of my clients because, <laughs> you know, they, they are so open and vulnerable and, um, and I see their pain. Um, by the way, that's one thing I get feedback on is people say, oh, uh, I like that you don't take sides. And for me, it's so clear that they are co-creating their experience. There's no side to be taken. Mm -hmm. Like I always say, my client is a relationship, you know, because the relationship holds both of you. Um, and they're a couple. So the man grew up in a very cold, um, I would say, emotionally and sometimes physically abusive home. Um, he learned to protect himself by being very stoic and um, seem like he doesn't have any needs. Um, and the woman happened to grow up with a mother. She, her father was, was there, but her mother was, so, was also shut off from her ability to, to um, be affectionate and cuddly and warm and so they both craved it but neither of them knew how to really give it to each other and would misinterpret signals from uh -huh. each other about you know what does that mean what does that mean and okay so this is going to be one of those overgeneralizations. but often women need to feel connected emotionally before they're interested in connecting sexually and often men connect physically and then feel connected emotionally. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we tend to go through two different primary doors of intimacy. But when you asked how important that is, I think for most couples, it's hugely important. I mean, for most couples, even though now there's all sorts of definitions of relationships, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and I've worked with um, a couple polyamorous groups, which was a whole new experience for me. Mm -hmm. um, but for most couples, they, they um, stick to monogamy and so that's a need that can't get met anywhere else. You know, you could get intellectual needs met. You could get fun needs met, whatever. Right. That's a need that can't get met outside of there. So the stakes become very high. You know, this is the only well I can drink out of and it's shut off from, to me. You know, what am I going to do? So it's a big issue. It's a big issue. Yeah, I think that, I mean, honestly, I think it ruins a lot of relationships when that's not there. And like I said, even... Um, and I don't want to get too deep into my story Feel for free, whatever reasons, ahead. but, uh, no, but, uh, you know, I know people that, you know, their couples are together 
one will try to show affection and the other one will reject it as a result of, I never got that growing up. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to process you coming home from work and wrapping your arms around me and smothering me with kisses. Mm -hmm. Whereas like, you know, the other person's family might've been like, you know, I love you every day. I'm so proud of you. You're such a good kid, Mm -hmm. blah, 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 blah. You know what I mean? So I think a lot of that, and and again, it goes back to childhood stuff that spills over. Um, and even things, you know, personal things that aren't dealt with from childhood spilling over into the relationship and then affecting that. And I think it took me a while to kind of learn, you know, that from, you know, my personal perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, so, okay. Back to the, back to the divorce thing. Mm -hmm. Cause what is it? 53, 54% of marriages nowadays end in divorce. Right. Um, and by the way, like 75% of second marriages also fail. Uh, the good news is by the third marriage, <laughs> it's like 3%. So I don't know if you're just okay. exhausted third by then. Or, you know, third time's a charm. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so how many couples do you see that mm-hmm. by the time they hit your office, it's too late? Yeah. You know, I would say... It's rare that I really think it's too late. Like if they don't show up for a second session, it was too late. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, and I've kind of given up trying to know who's going to make it and who won't because sometimes the ones that I think that this for sure, look how much love there is there, look how much they got going for them, and then I find out, you know, there's been an affair and they're, you know, uh, they're apart and you know they stay in touch. So, and sometimes couples that I think no way, you know, then they're still together. So I think uh, the biggest factor is if you're willing to do the work. You know, Harville, uh, somebody once asked him at a lecture, how do I know I'm with the right person? You know, how do I know that I've picked a good partner? And uh, excuse me, my allergies. No, you're fine. Um, It's the season. It's the season. Right. He said, well, I, I think of it as three big factors. First of all, were you attracted to them? In other words, was there something pulling you to this person? And did you like them at the beginning anyway? Second, do they frustrate you in kind of predictable, repetitive ways? So. And third, are you and are they willing to do the work? You know, And that's what, how you know you're with the right person. Because you could have the first two, and if they're not willing to look at themselves, be open to change, be open to growth, um, it's going to be uphill all the way, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Oh, 100%. Yeah. So what are some, you've got so many years of experience with dealing with different couples, what are some telltale signs that things are headed south that, hey, maybe we should go talk to somebody? Mm-hmm. Wow, that's a I'm great I'm sure there's question. many of them. Yeah. Tons um, of them, but... Uh, I think um, when you keep having the same conflict over and over, and it's not really getting resolved, you know, it's not... There's no breakthrough. There's no clear understanding of what's really happening. Because what we say in Imago Land is that if something in your relationship has a lot of energy behind it, like maybe you think that's more energy than it needs, uh, like really it's just the socks on the floor. It's, you know, it takes up this much space. How important can that be? Mm-hmm. Right. But if it has a lot of energy behind it, then maybe 10% is about the here and now, and 90% is old. Like, like an iceberg okay. that only shows 10% above the surface and there's 90% below. So, to her, the socks on the floor might mean, you know, I have to be responsible. I have to, I had to do that since I was a kid and watching over my younger siblings. And, you know, why do I have to do everything? You know, and even though it just takes up a two inch by two inch, you know, piece of real estate on the floor, mm-hmm. it has a lot more emotional meaning. So repetitive conflicts that don't seem to be going away um, are, are useful. They're, they're trying to get your attention. Okay that something important is trying to emerge here. Um, so that's one sign. I, yeah, I would say um, even if you're if there's not conflicts, but you're feeling kind of blah, like you know it could be better, um, there's no harm in doing kind of preventative work too to take okay. it to the next level. Maybe one or the other is avoiding talking about something that feels a little scary or vulnerable. 
and they need the, the skill of the dialogue that I could tell you about in a minute to help them open up. I would say another sign is if you find yourself turning to outside of the relationship to get um, certain needs met. I'm not even saying having an affair, but I'm like if you're working longer than you have to be or if you're even, I hate to say this, people use working out as a way to avoid their spouse sometimes. You know, I see it here at the you? gym. Yeah. How, I see how, do you, it how can you tell? People who come here for... Um, I mean, not everybody. Again, of this course, is not, I don't course. mean to be general, but people who come here to, so we offer a couple other therapeutic services mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So people who come here and work out for two hours and then come back later in the day and do like a hyperbaric therapy session or something like that. And then they kind of hang out and linger and talk to people. And I'm like, don't you have a wife and three kids at home? Mm-hmm. Isn't that? And, you know, I don't say it out loud, but yeah. I can tell. I can genuinely tell when somebody's yeah. just hanging out on a regular basis. Right. Yeah. Right. So we, we call those exits. Like it's draining energy out of the relationship. Because remember when I said humans just want to increase pleasure and avoid pain? So it's pleasurable here, right? Mm-hmm. Nobody asks anything of you. You do your own thing. You feel good. People are nice to you. You know, maybe the same at work. You're getting good feedback. You feel like an accomplishment is, you know, something is happening. And you go home and you're greeted with, you know, where have you been? You know, who wants to come home to that, right? So uh, so one of those telltale signs might be you find yourself turning to other places, relationships, whatever. It could be volunteering. It could be even your own kids could be an exit. If you're giving them all your love and attention and not your partner. I see that a lot with young couples with young kids the father often seems like odd man out like where did i go you know uh, mm-hmm. and the mother is like ugh, i'm touched out don't even bother you know don't yeah. even touch me yeah. right so that's a very vulnerable time in a couple's life and they really have to attend to themselves and the marriage in ways that they might not expect i would say that's a place to intervene for sure okay. because of course what these kids are, the kids grow in the space of the relationship. Mm-hmm. That's where they grow up. So if for nothing else, even if it's not to better your own uh, experience, you know, their kids are little sponges and they notice and absorb and watch everything. So it's, it's really helpful if you could intervene then. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. No, th- those are those are really good ones. Good. Um, and I, I, oh, and when is... I should say, sorry, one more thing about the exit thing. Yeah. Obviously, any addiction is um, probably evidence that they're turning to that, whether it's alcohol, drugs, or you know, gambling, shopping, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. That that's going to be a big drain on the relationship. They're not gonna have the energy for the relationship and it's a big stress on the relationship. It's not impossible to work through, but it makes it extra hard. That's a really good point. I know some some of the listeners out there probably have, um, and again, I don't mean to generalize, but fathers who have turned to alcohol, you come in, yep. you walk in, the your dad walked in the door, the first thing he did was went over and poured a scotch or a bourbon before he would talk to anybody. I've heard yep. stories of that, yep. you know, here and there. Very and common. That, and that's covering that up to just uh, I'm just going to I'm just going to plow through the next 20 years of marriage because I'm already, you know, 50 years old. And mm-hmm. um, this is it. This is me. Yeah. This is what I'm going right. to do. And that's sad because, you know, even at the ripe old age of 60 something, um, love is totally possible. And it's always possible, I think, where there's a will, there's a way to improve your relationship. Just yesterday, I had a new couple come in. He was 70, is 74. She's 69. Wow. I know. And they came in for therapy. Huh? Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. I was, I really commended them. Yeah, know. I would have too. <laughs> That's unbelievable. I mean, well, it'd be like somebody walking in uh, eco gym at, at that age and saying, you know what? I think I could do something. Yeah. You know, I bet you get older people. We there. do. We do. Um, I think our oldest person was 80, 85 or something like that. Isn't that awesome? Um, and I say the same thing. I'm like, I'm so proud of you for getting in here. And even though you're limited, there's still tons of different things you can do. Always. You know? So that's awesome. Um, One thing I'm seeing by having some different um, entrepreneurs on the show, people that are running their own business, is Mm -hmm. taking the time to 
um, and they've all had families, and you touched on this, taking the time to, okay, well, you guys were there first before the kids, so Mm. you can't forget about what's happening here. Um, I have a couple really good friends of mine who, and I'm going to take this with them into my next marriage and stuff like that. Um, They just recently had a kid. They do date night like twice a week. So they go and they find a babysitter. The kid goes with a babysitter and they do a date night. And this doesn't necessarily mean going out and spending a bunch of money. Right. It could be as simple as let's cook this. um, Let's cook some seafood for dinner tonight and Mm -hmm. put on our favorite movie and light some candles and watch it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I just see that all the time that people are not willing to remember that you still have this going on before Mm -hmm. everything else happened. Right. So be, and I think they're well intended. You know, they want to be good parents. They think that they want, you know, they need to dive into that wholeheartedly and they do. It's a new job that they've never had, yeah. you know. Um, and you're absolutely right. If the foundation of the the mother and father is, if that's not strong and and every relationship needs to be nurtured. If it's not nurtured, it'll decay. There's there's no, you know, it needs attention. So, um, yeah, that's that's super important. Definitely. Um, One thing, too, that I wanted to ask you about was um, trust. Mm. Okay, big, big, big thing in a relationship. One of the most important things. How do you when someone comes to you and says, hey, Mm. the trust has been broken here. How do I get that back? Mm -hmm. How do my number one question for you is how does that not sit in the back of your head with your partner? If that trust has been broken, how does that not just sit in the back of your head and fester there? No matter if they haven't done anything wrong in two, three, four, five years, whatever it is, Mm -hmm. how do you work through that? How do you help these couples work through that? Yeah, so that is a hard one. That is a hard one because it's such a core um, injury Mm -hmm. when trust has been broken. Um, You know, um, I've been in relationships where that's happened where there's been an affair and trust has been broken. And, um, you know, I became a really professional snoop. You know, I, uh, <laughs> I, yes, I, see the problem with snooping is it's, it's not very satisfying because if you don't find something, all you think is that you didn't snoop well enough. Exactly. And if you do find something then it's just evidence of pain and you know terrible devastation yeah exactly (laughs) right 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 so it's i don't recommend it but um here's here's the problem with or the challenge with regaining trust it's not just up to the person who let's say acted out in a non-trustworthy way to be now trustworthy maybe the harder thing is for the one who was betrayed let's say to open their heart again and mm-hmm. be willing to, you know, um, entertain the possibility that this person has changed. You know, um, one of the things as my first marriage was falling apart, so l- let me dial back a little bit. Yeah. So we went to that workshop. We um, got into therapy with an... Um, you know, using this new Imago style. Um, We worked at it for like five years until, you know, it kind of ran its course. Um, One of the things I learned about myself at that first workshop was that I was critical. Like, I didn't know that I was critical because I used the Jeopardy form of criticism, which is I put it in the form of a question. You know, I would say things like, why can't you? Or how come it's so hard to? And why don't you ever? And, of course, all these were criticisms, which I didn't recognize. Um, So let me say unequivocally, unequivocably, that all criticism is harmful. All criticism is harmful. There's no such thing as constructive criticism. There's feedback, which is different. Um, but all, even if I say something that's got some wisdom behind it, you're going to have to first protect yourself from the sting of the criticism before you could even let that information in. So, so if I'm in a relationship and I say something like, um, 
I guess what you're doing is hurting my feelings. Mm-hmm. Is that feedback or yes, is that constructive criticism? It's not even constructive. It's feedback. It's you're talking about yourself. Okay. So let's say a common criticism is, um, see, and the other thing is underneath every criticism is an unspoken desire. So if I say to you, you're always late, that's a criticism. Okay. What's the desire underneath that? I want you to be on time. Exactly. Got it. Or And the fact that you're not on time is affecting me. Mm. And, and here's what happens for me when, when we're not on time. But if I say you're always late, what's wrong with you? Why can't, how hard is it to be on time? You know, you need to organize yourself better. Even if that's true, you're gonna have to defend against the attack which it is, an so attack, true. right? So uh, that's one of the other things we teach is how to ask for what you need in a way that's not an attack. It doesn't mean you'll always get it, but at least you won't make it worse. You won't invite more defensiveness, mm-hmm. which then becomes that minimizer, maximizer power struggle that um, we talked about earlier, right? So um, what was the thing you asked about right before that? Oh, about trust? Yeah, 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 we were on trust. Right. Sorry, we right. got a little sidetracked. Yeah, no, that's there, okay. So, um, so I, um, I learned that I was critical, and and it shouldn't have surprised me because when I first met my mother-in-law, um, the first time I met her, she was ripping him a new one. She was so critical of him, like right in front of me. This is the first time I met her, and she was so critical of him. And when we we left. I said, boy, how do you stand that? You know, she was so critical. And he's like, oh, I don't even pay attention. So that should have been a clue to me, by <laughs> yeah, the way. A red flag. Red, red flag, flag, red flag. <laughs> anyway, um, so apparently, though, so naturally, imago-wise, he would be attracted to somebody who was critical because he would want to get the critical one to not be critical. That's That would be the healing and growth thing, gotcha. right? So, but apparently I wasn't critical enough because after we'd have a spat or something, he would say, you hate me, don't you? You hate me, don't you? And I would say, I don't hate you. You know, I'm frustrated or I'm upset or whatever. He'd say, no, you hate me, don't you? And this was years before I actually did, you know, but that was a joke. Um, <laughs> thanks. thanks. No, story. but, but, uh, but I mean, but, yeah, So eventually I, I, I kind of cooperated with the projection, you know, with the, like, I didn't hate him, but I became less and less connected with him. But after the workshop, I learned to ask for what I needed instead of to become critical to try to get what I needed. I adjusted some of my expectations, which were really infantile in some ways, like he should know what I want without me having to ask. You know, that's, that's, a, that's a big one that we carry. I heard that one. I've heard that one a couple of times. Yeah. Well, I'll Personally. just, I'll, <laughs> you've, you've thought that or you've heard it? No, I've had it said to me. Okay, so let me just say that that's absolutely a throwback to childhood. Because when we were infants, I mean, the first couple of years of our life were pre-verbal, right? Mm-hmm. So we don't have to ask, just we, what do we do when we're, we need something? Whine. Exactly. Whine, cry, get upset, and then miraculously the nipple appears or the diaper gets changed or whatever we need. So it gets kind of grooved in our neural pathways. Like we shouldn't have to, if you loved me, you would know, right? But in real life adult relationships, this is my mega statement here coming up. Right the mega here. statement, here it is. Mega. Your partner is not you. Amen. Amen, right. <laughs> so you're gonna have to tell them and put it into words and it's okay to say mm-hmm. what you need or want or enjoy or don't enjoy or whatever because they are not you. Sometimes couples get into a relationship and that, that connection feels so good that it feels like, you know, you and I are one and I'm the one, you know. Mm-hmm. Or we make up you and I are one and you're the one. I won't exist here. But to have a real healthy relationship, you need to have two people who are individuals who are also connected, you know. So, um, back flashback to me so uh years of working on that even just that piece of learning to not be critical um one day i approached my husband and i asked him do you 
basically experienced me as safe or basically experienced me as dangerous. And he said, I don't experience anyone as safe. And that was a real gift to me that he was able to say that because then I knew that I had done as much work as I could do and that relationship could, couldn't grow anymore. Mm. And, and then I, after that, years of investment in that relationship, I could let it go. Um, because you can't do it yourself. You know, you really cannot do it yourself. Uh, you can make small incremental improvements and then see if that shifts the relationship, and it can. Um, but eventually the other person's gonna have to also step up and step into doing some of the work. I think uh, you see it all the time where there's people that are different fundamentally at their core of who they are as a human being and they're trying to make this work and one might say all right let's go to therapy let's do this I'm willing to change this and we'll Mm -hmm. try over the months and years and they'll try to grow and they'll grow and they'll grow and they'll grow and they'll keep suggesting to the other person Um, but I think if you're if you're really different at your core of who you are as a human being that's never going to work. And I think therapy sometimes will finally get that out of people to help you realize, like you mm-hmm. said, you were trying to work on yourself and do all this stuff. And you finally came to that realization. This is the mm-hmm. road's ending here. Mm-hmm. I can't do any more mm-hmm. to make that um, yeah. prosper and grow anymore. Yeah. But I think people in general bail too quickly. Okay. I, I think they don't realize that, that with a shift in perspective, and some new tools that they can, you know, they can give it a shot anyway. You know, if there's not that much invested, if you don't have kids or property or a dog or whatever together, and you wanna just roll the dice and go for the next one, then go ahead. But the likelihood is that you're gonna be attracted to a similar person with similar qualities because of that imago attraction. Mm -hmm. So if you're gonna get in the same boat anyway, you might as well, you know, dance with the one that brung you you know you might as well do the work (laughs) if they're if they're willing to do the work with you like i said um does that make sense oh 100 100 percent. cool this is all good stuff i'm glad this is all good stuff what is okay so you became certified to teach heels yeah anger management tool what what is that okay so um so imago is my my primary approach but there are certain things in even in the imago approach, and I do want to. I don't know how much time how much time more. We have as, as much time as you want to get. As much time as I want to get. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Yes. Well, um, so, but within imago, there's a few gaps of um, things that aren't covered, and one of them really is how to deal with anger, and. I'm, I first saw an Oprah. Oprah's responsible for all my professional growth. You know, sometimes I think about that. I think about, like, she touched my life, and I'm touching other people's lives. And, like, the, the ripple effect is, um, is amazing. I never got a car from her. but I love you know. it. No, but that's, like, what we're trying to do on this show right. is have experts on. You know this field so well. If we can, if like one person can listen to this episode and take some information from this yes. and pass it along, we've done our job. I agree That's, wholeheartedly. So yeah, I totally agree with that. Yeah. So one day she had this guy, Steven Stasnian, and he um, he is really this, he's an expert on the biology of anger. Like how is it, what is anger actually about? And so I did some training with him and he developed this HEALS technique, H-E-A-L-S. It's an acronym for, I'll tell you in a minute. Okay. Um, but basically, uh, What I learned from him is that anger is always a secondary feeling to to cover up kind of or to help us manage a primary feeling that's intolerable, like feeling unlovable or feeling inadequate or feeling powerless. We don't like to feel those things. And so like we don't even allow ourselves to feel it that much and then anger comes on. Anger kind of feels good. You know, it's kind of like when the adrenaline starts going and the cortisol and the heart and the, right? Kind of, you kind of feel powerful for yeah. a second there. And the, the key word is for a second. Because just like, you know, uh, white sugar could give you a false sense of energy, right? But what happens when that wears off? Crash. Crash, right. Same with anger. You get this false sense of power. And as soon as that, the stress hormones wear off, 
you crash, often into a depression, often into feeling bad, often into feeling worse, feeling bad about what you might have said, feeling you know, bad about what you did. And so um, anger in humans is kind of like functions similarly to anger in animals. When you see an angry animal, right? What do you want to do? Run away. Run away. Yeah. Right. So obviously if I'm angry towards my partner, whatever I'm angry about is not going to be heard. We're going to shut it down. We're going to push it away. We're going to try to get away from it. It's very, very ineffective as a form of communication. It's, um, and it can be super, super destructive. The problem is it feels like a little good to the sender of the anger, and it always feels bad to the receiver of the anger. Always, always, always. Um, and um, so here's the thing. When we are angry, our perceptions are distorted. We tend to narrow our focus and expand the thing that we're focused on which is useful if the, th- if the threat is a tiger. You know, you want to focus on the teeth, right? You don't want to say, well, maybe it's got kittens back at the lair. Or, <laughs> you know, maybe it's on the endangered species list, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. But if you ever notice if someone's angry with you, you know, you tend to want to expand the, the focus. You're like, I don't always do that. Or come on, and there's lots of times where I wasn't that or... Right? We want to expand the focus because the person who's angry, their focus is distorted. It's narrow and magnified. Um, so when we're done being angry, then we could kind of come to our senses again. Um, but in the moment, it's, it's a distortion. So nothing good happens there. I suggest when people start to get angry and that heals technique, and you could learn more about that on his website, which, which is CompassionPower.com. Highly recommend. We'll link that up in the show notes. Great. So that'll be there. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, what I recommend is that you, if you find yourself all riled up to that degree, you need to take a timeout because it's just going to be destructive. And in that timeout, they say it takes about 20 minutes to, if you're really ramped up to get a full, uh, you know, to get the cortisol and the adrenaline uh, dissipated enough that you could be rational again because when we're angry the rational part of our brain shuts down mm-hmm. it um daniel siegel who's a neurobiologist he talks about you know, this is our brain and this is a neuro cor- the neocortex up here um, and this is the fear center our amygdala in here when we're angry we literally flip our lid like we lose connections between the logical part of us and the primitive part of us okay so um so in that timeout. Um, that is not the time to collect evidence to support your position, you know. And that's sometimes what people do. They're like, yeah, I should feel this way because of this, this, and this. The timeouts have to be about self-soothing, have to be about, you know, deep breathing, maybe do a meditation, maybe do a walk. Literally, sometimes people, they, people feel like they have to punch something. Mm-hmm. That's just an expression of it's in your body, like it's got to get worked out. So um, when you're calmed down, then you can have a productive dialogue. So um, that's, so, that's so what... Take, so take a time out, walk yeah. away from the situation, yeah. then gather your thoughts. That is one lesson that I had to learn the hard way, mm-hmm. and, and not only in you know past relationships, but in friendships, what, whatever it would be, per- professional relationships, whatever it would be. You literally don't have the ability to think logically Correct. when you are that upset. So... I'm a big communicator. I want to communicate. I want to work through it, right? Mm-hmm. So I've been with people in the past that are not good communicators, and they don't want to hear it. So I'm trying to support my case. Like you said, I'm presenting all this evidence, mm-hmm. but all I'm really doing is talking at you because you're just so enraged. Mm. You don't want to hear it. So you none can't. of that none of that gets through the screen. Right. So that is such a good piece of advice, but it took me 20 eight, 29 years well, to finally figure that out, like remove yourself from the situation, take a deep breath. And then, and then now I've had the ability, which I'm, you know, I'm proud of to say this, I have the ability to calm down and then step out of it and be like, all right, let me try to see from their point of view. Maybe they do have a good point or two oh here and there. Gosh, that is huge. But most people can't do that. They really can't do that. But again, it took me forever and I had to learn the hard way, but yeah. 
to be able to see the world through another point of view, through your partner's eyes, is is life-changing. It's life-changing because um, we are so convinced that our position, our everything, our reality is the reality, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. is the only way to see it. I've, I've got this cute cartoon where um, two people are here and there's like a six or a nine on the floor and one is saying, it's a six, and the other one's saying, it's a nine, you know. Like, of course, it depends on your perspective, <laughs> yeah. you know. Um, but uh, that's, that's what makes the breakthroughs, you know, when yeah. you can really understand that, wow, I, I've hurt you in ways that I didn't mean to based on my own needs, and now I have compassion and empathy for you, now that's the motivation to change. That's the motivation to change. I'll give you a little example. So um, I've been with my current partner now almost 10 years. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. Um, and um, we both grew up in kind of chaotic households. Um, I, because my parents were crazy. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and he, because he grew up in a big family, he's one of nine. And wow. so it was always just like chaos. So. Um, one of his requests early in our intimate life together was that if I'm the last one out of bed, I make the bed. So I don't know about you. For some people, making the bed is like brushing their teeth. They don't even think about it. They just do it. But for me, I didn't grow up with that. I didn't either. Okay. Yeah. Um, But I adapted to the chaos around me by not noticing a lot. Like I have a high tolerance for chaos, for clutter, for stuff. I don't even notice. I just step around, whatever. He adapted to his chaos by finding his little part of the world that he could manage and control and have just so that wasn't intruded on and was. So we had a similar hurt from childhood but adapted to it differently. So anyway, his request of me was to make the bed. Fine, I, I understand it comes from his childhood. It's not just he's not being critical. He's not telling yeah. me I'm a horrible person. He just needs that. So I think I could do this. So the first day it's my turn to make the bed. I go and I start and I'm like immediately breaking out into a sweat. I'm like the parental police are on my shoulder. I'm like this side's too long and this side's too <laughs> short and I'm doing it wrong and you know. Oh my god. Oh, honestly, I was like working up a sweat and it probably took all of 45 seconds. You know, I don't know how. Yeah. Long. And then the next day again it's my turn and I'm I'm working, you know, furiously to make the bed. By the third day I'm looking for an excuse. You know, I'm thinking like, I think I don't have time to make the bed today. And then I'm like, no, it's his childhood wound. Okay, childhood wound, I'll make the bed. So an interesting thing happened that after some time, I liked having the bed made. You know, like there could be stuff on my dresser or on the floor, but there's this island of calm in the middle of the room, you know. And, um, And so I was growing that part of me that had been underdeveloped based on his need you see that's the growth and need uh, thing again and um so it could be in the simplest little requests that could meet a huge iceberg need yeah that you wouldn't even think of that's really good yeah what do you do with what do you do with stubborn people so Mm. you have one person in the relationship drags the other one to therapy and like kicking and screaming basically the whole way. Fine, I'll go with you. Mm-hmm. What do you do with somebody that, because I'm sure you get this, people that walk in there and one of the partners is completely closed mm-hmm. off. How do you chisel away at that to get them to open up enough to start this growth process? So when I hear stubborn, I hear scared. I hear that they're afraid that something is going to be asked of them that will be too much or too hard or they'll fail at or, um, you know, they won't understand or um, is impossible. Or So I do a lot of work about helping both people feel safe, um, safe enough to, to – because that's the only way they're going to grow. Mm-hmm. If And by the way, Gottman, who you also referenced um, – one of the things that he says, and he's done a boatload of research, um, 
on couples in his love lab in Seattle. You know, <laughs> I love that name. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. So um, one of the things that he um, noticed is that one of the hallmarks of successful relationships is men who are open to influence by their partners. Women tend to be open to influence kind of naturally, more naturally, but men being open to influence uh, is harder. So um, that's, that's really, uh, I, I would say, if you could risk a little bit uh, to see perhaps that it's not tragic that you could be influenced. Um, but so stubbornness, to go back to your question, is, is to me fear. So what does it take to feel safe? You know, it means I won't judge, I won't blame, I won't shame, I won't criticize. Um, and I try to teach those, those tenets in the, in the work that we do. Okay. Does that make sense? Oh, that's good. I've, I've always wondered that because I, like, I feel like most of the time that would be the case. Do you see that a lot? Yeah, I don't see how it could be something else. Yeah. You know, um, people who get very entrenched in their position are often very afraid of what if I step out of that. What you know, if I'm wrong? What if, what if I'm wrong? Yeah. Ah, yeah. That we can't even tolerate that. We can't entertain that thought. <laughs> you know, if you and I have a different opinion and one of us is wrong here, it better be you. You know. So, um, and you see that. You know, I I say you see it in a couple, and you see it in a country, and you see it in countries. You know. That's a really good point. That is a really good point. Wow, I didn't even think of I didn't even think of it like that. Yeah. Um. This has been amazing. I really appreciate you being on and sharing your wisdom mm. with us. Um, I want to commend you for the work that you're doing to genuinely help people. Thank I you. think a lot of people in our industry are nurturers by trait. We want to help people. We want to see them change. That's the whole reason why we started this. So mm. I want to commend you for devoting your life to that. To helping others it's it's been my pleasure and can i tell you about the next workshop coming up 100 percent. yeah so i do these getting the love you want that's a book that harville wrote some 30 years ago so we do a workshop that's based on that and the next one coming up is september 22nd and 23rd and there's still room in that sign up guys uh yeah so they could go to my website quantumlove.com uh for more information or to register or to uh, get into counseling with me. Quantumlove.com. Make sure you guys go there and check that out. She's got a lot of cool things that they're doing there. Um, I'll make sure and put that link uh, for everyone in uh, our YouTube channel. We'll have a video of this on our YouTube channel. Um, we'll put it on our website, all that good stuff. So you guys awesome. will be able to check that out. Yeah. I always like to wrap up each show by asking you for some advice. Mm. So you've kind of been sharing it throughout the whole episode mm -hmm. here. Give me two tidbits of information that uh, the listeners can take with them mm -hmm. to top level stuff on having a successful relationship or marriage? Mm -hmm. I would say one is um, try to listen uh, without putting yourself in there. Like with the one of the techniques or tools we use is mirroring. So just say back what you are hearing. So let me see if I've got this. You would like me to give you two of the top pieces of advice that I have for you. Did I get that? Yeah. Right. And then you could ask, is there more? Like, what a gift to not only be listened to, but to be asked if, if you want to say more about that. Um, and, and then the second piece of that is validate. Validation doesn't mean agreement. You don't have to think the same way. Validation just means your partner makes sense, that their view, how they came to think that. Like it makes sense to me that you would want some tidbits to share with your listeners because people like little tidbits. Um, so it makes sense that you would want that. And the third piece of the dialogue is empathy. So I'm giving you three. You asked for two. I'm hey, giving you three. bonus. Bonus. Hey, <laughs> When you can empathize, that means really putting yourself in how it must feel to be in, in the other's shoes. Uh, again, that's transformational. So if I were to empathize with you right now, I might say, I imagine that you feel um, excited about this podcast and um, eager to learn. 
and then I would check that out. Is that how you feel? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if I got it wrong, by the way, if I if I said I imagine you feel bored, and you know can't wait to get out of here, is that true? <laughs> then uh, you you could correct that. Yeah, hopefully. Those are amazing. Those are really really amazing, and those are all three skills that are very hard to develop. Another reason why therapy helps with that. Yes. So. Make sure you guys go see Joe. <laughs> Thank you so much. All right. Thanks again for Thanks, being Mark. on. Uh, you guys tune in next week again. We got a couple special guests coming on. Uh, make sure you go to onehealthpodcast.com if you guys are interested in sponsoring or if you know of someone or are someone that would like to be a guest on our show. We have a contact form on there. Reach out. Uh, until next week. Thanks so much. Thanks so much.